Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. Hi, this is Chris Shepard. Just a disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only. They should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments, or take any other actions. Thank you and enjoy the show. Today, we have Whitney Sewell on the podcast. He is founder of LifeBridge Capital and the host of the Real Estate Syndication Show. We will be talking about his journey towards syndication and how the automation of processes benefits both the business and hosting his daily podcast. He also gives us insight to learning from mentors and the level of commitment that you need to have before diving into real estate investing. Whitney's commitment was along the lines of selling the farm. So let's hear what Whitney has to say. All right. Well, today we've got Whitney Sewell with LifeBridge Capital, and he's an incredible resource and putting out a podcast every day on his show. Whitney, you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Of course. Where do you want me to start? (laughs) Yeah, we do have a daily podcast. Like you mentioned, AJ, it is focused on the syndication business. And we've done just under a thousand shows now every day. So yeah, a long road to getting where we're at. You know, I'm happy to share more about this real estate background or how we got where we're at, whatever would serve your audience the best. That is awesome, Whitney. One thing that I've just been so impressed with on your journey is, is kind of your mission or your why. And I'd love to hear more about what kind of makes you tick and the why behind most of the decisions you make. Yeah. Our why is such a big part of our business. And I would say, you know, and I'll back up to say when I first started traveling to conferences and, you know, you're, you're sitting there and one of the first things they typically talk about is your mindset and your why. Right. And, and when I first started going to those conferences, that's when I would tune out and I would think, no, wait a minute. You know, I've heard enough of this stuff. You know, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Tell me how to, how to find that next deal. Tell me what I need to know, you know, to get this stuff happening, you know, right. And, 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 and so that's when I would tune out. I would go to the back of the room and I would say now still the, the money's to be made in the back of the room, meeting people and networking, however. But my mindset at that time, it was not putting enough stress. It's just the importance of mindset and your why. And so I quickly, change that. But my wife and I, when we, we moved to Roanoke, I was in the military and law enforcement and then became a federal agent. And that moved us to Virginia where we live now. And when we moved here, we heard a pastor talk about how they had adopted a child and how there's 160 million orphans in the world, how it costs you know, 40 to 60 grand to bring a child home through adoption. We had never been exposed to adoption before. And so that night on our way home, the only thing we could ask ourselves is why would we not adopt? Like, why would we not? We couldn't think of a good reason why we would not bring a child home, if at all possible. So we started the process within a week. We sent in our application. Two years later, our first son, Samuel, comes home through adoption. And a very difficult road, being and funding the adoption process. Uh, about eight or, or let's see, nine or 10 months later, our second son, Elijah, came home through adoption. Again, lots of fundraising, lots of commitment there, just kind of finding the money to pay and fund for the, this adoption. And then we also have a daughter now that came to our family through adoption. But many times, you know, it's just that it was very difficult for us to help fund uh, and bring our, our children home through adoption. And so that led to this level of commitment through LifeBridge Capital to start a foundation. It's called uh, the LifeBridge Foundation. 
foundation, but where we're helping families fund their adoption process and bring their child home. And so my wife and I have committed half of our personal profits to that foundation and just helping other families get their child home. That financial burden is what hinders most families from beginning that journey. So we find, you know, if we can come along beside them and offer some kind of matching grant or just some help in thinking through how to fundraise, it goes a long ways. But that's our big why. That's our big mission behind LifeBridge Capital. Yeah, that is so impressive. And, you know, just hearing a little bit more about your journey through adoption and, you know, how, like, how long that takes and just the level of commitment just really, like, you know, helps me understand you a little bit better. And, you know, I, I really feel like, you know, your, your business and your life and your why kind of all intertwine together. And it's just so impressive. And it's such a breath of fresh air to hear that. So yeah, I think that's really cool. And I look forward to chatting with you a little bit more about the adoption road. You know, my wife and I might be on that road as well. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. AJ, jump in. Well, Whitney, do you want to tell us a little bit more like how you got into real estate? I've listened a ton to your podcast and most of the time it's you interviewing other people. So this is a a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. And I I don't know if I actually know, like kind of where did you come from and how did you decide to get into multifamily? Like just, if you would tell us, tell us a little bit more about that. Of course. Yeah, I appreciate you listening, by the way. But, you know, I started back in 2001, really. That's usually where I I begin explaining that journey. I joined the military in March of 2001. And that was six months before our nation was attacked. You know, we had no idea at that time that we were going to be at war in just a few months. And so joined the military. Obviously, that was life-changing. I found myself spending all of 2005 in Iraq. Unfortunately, not, not everyone in my squad made it home. And so it was uh, obviously a once-in-a-lifetime experience I wouldn't wish on anyone. However, I'm thankful to have served. I'm thankful the Lord allowed me to make it home safely. You know, and one thing, though, the military taught me was just to have that never-give-up mentality. And that's, you know, when you're, you're at war, it's not an option to give up. I mean, people's lives, you know, are counting on you performing. And so I think that has helped me, you know, in business. It's helped me in many areas moving forward. But I came home and I tried to figure out what am I going to do as a career and I, it was an easy transition into law enforcement. I loved the uniform, the discipline, the structure. And there was five positions, over 1,200 applicants. And I was thankful to, get, to receive one of those positions with Kentucky State Police. And loved working the road as a police officer. I would have done it for free the first couple of years. And however, I got married about a year in. And I realized that my wife and I are just passing each other in the hallway, you know, that first whole year of marriage. And then I realized that guys were retiring with, you know, 25, 30 years on, and they're making like 35 to $40,000 a year. So the, the, you know, the writing finally was on the wall, you know, as much as I enjoyed this, I finally realized like, this is not what's best long-term. It's going to be very difficult to support our family, you know, as we grow, as our family grows and, and on that kind of income, even working all the overtime weekends, holidays that I possibly could, it's going to be very difficult. And so in 2009, I bought two triplexes. I learned about real estate. And one of my first thoughts or, you know, as I'm learning about this possibility of of more income from real estate was, you know, if, I mean, it's not like one person had built wealth in real estate, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people have built wealth in real estate. I'm like, okay, if that many people can do it, I can probably 
you know, figure out something in real estate, right? That can help us financially, even if it's at a small scale. And so bought two triplexes, learned a lot the hard way, made tons of mistakes, trusted the seller, trusted the the realtor way too much, didn't do proper due diligence, all those elementary things. Now, obviously we have much different processes for those things now, but you know, at that time, you know, 2009, I mean, we were I mean, self-managing and ultimately, you know, can't manage business with your heart or especially manage, self-managing tenants. And so, you know, just got taken advantage of and really tried to help them, but they were helping themselves. Like I said, learned a lot, but then I soon became a federal agent and that moved us to Virginia where we live now, sold those properties, bought and sold some other things, but up to like a 15 unit, that was as large as a property. And even at that time, I was like, wow, you know, a 15 unit. And, and but then... Soon I learned about the syndication business and I heard it on a podcast or something. I read it in a book. I don't even remember, but I started diving into the syndication business and couldn't believe that I hadn't knew, hadn't known about this so many years earlier. I mean, it was like this whole new thing, a whole new world had opened up, right? And so I started traveling to conferences. And then again, I start meeting people that had only been in the commercial real estate business I mean, a year, two years, and they were buying 100 unit buildings. And I I just couldn't believe it. And so I'm like, again, okay, if they can do it, I can do it too. And so that led me on another path, you know, of commercial real estate. And because I I love the business model, I love being able to work with professional investors, just professionals on our team, building and growing a team, professional brand, as opposed to looking for more tenants and toilets like I had been doing, you know, and even that was my thought process early on was that's what I was going to have to do. But now it's like, no, you know, I can work with professionals who are used to taking those day in and day out tenant calls and managing them. And I don't have to do that anymore, but I can focus over here on the business and where I can add the most value. Anyway, there's many other steps that got us to where we're at now, but that's ultimately how we got into the syndication business. A lot of stuff there. That is awesome, Whitney. What year was it that you found out about syndication? It was probably early 2016 or mid-2016. Okay. About five years ago. What a journey in five years. That's pretty incredible. So you said that you kind of went through the hard knocks of learning real estate early. You bought the triplexes. You, know, you, you knew nothing. The real estate agent you know, made sure they got their commission and you wound up with two triplexes per the deal. But would you say that that's kind of like required in any real estate investor's education? I mean, no matter how much you read, there's still just going to be the hard knocks of experience. Would you agree with that? I think there's going to be hard knocks, but I think there's ways to minimize that. I don't think they have to be maybe as hard as, as some, you know, and I think early on I needed a good mentor and I needed somebody that was in my corner that had been there and done that, right? And I just think that would have gone a long ways. Even meeting somebody in that market, like I wasn't even very familiar with that market when we bought those deals or those properties. And, you know, just networking there, better understanding the market and the deal and, and just having somebody that could provide some guidance that I could ask questions to, I think would have gone a long way to to minimize the hard knocks. I think you're still going to have them. I mean, every real estate deal, you know, there's things that happen that uh, you may not have been preparing for, right? Or you better expect those things to happen, no doubt about it, or be as prepared as possible for the unknown. But no doubt you're going to have hard knocks, but I think you can minimize them depending on who you're surrounding yourself with. And after having that experience kind of with those triplexes and, and that 15 unit, did you take what you, what, what you knew or what you learned through that and then apply it to syndication? Kind of like maybe tell us a little bit about like 
what lessons you learned and then then applied? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say more than anything, it was the the drive to to grow a business and do bigger and better things. But, you know, from those deals, obviously due diligence was was crucial, you know, in that first deal, the lack of due diligence and just not verifying often or many things that should have been verified. I mean, those are things. And obviously now, I mean, we have experts on every deal, you know, if we're buying a property that has 30 or 40 buildings, well, we, we have you know, an expert, you know, roofer on every building, right? He's crawling on every building or, you know, HVAC guys or whatever it may be. They're experts in their craft, you know, and we're finding out, you know, how many units there are, how many should we expect to replace this year or the next five years or, or you know, what, uh, how many have been replaced recently? All those things that I did not do then. And I would say that that's one of the most crucial things that now have helped me to stress moving forward, even reserve budgets and how to prepare for, for downturns and things like that have been, have been crucial. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned, you know, it would have been nice to have like someone experienced in the field or kind of like where you were working in. Like when you went into syndication, did you seek out a mentor or have you worked with anyone or? It was the first thing that I did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was. And I did a lot of research on finding that person because there's, you can spend so much money on mentors, I, I found out and not be so happy. And what I did was I got on bigger pockets and I found different people on there that were different programs and being mentored. And I reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, would you be willing to have a phone call? We, you know, I'd love to know more about your mentor and just your experience. And believe it or not, numerous people were willing to, to get on the phone. Right. And, and there's probably, there's at least two or three other mentors that I'd thought about signing up with that it changed my mind by having that call. And I'm very pleased with the mentor that I chose, but I did lots of due diligence. And it was a very big decision for us, you know, investing that much money, you know, in that type of mentorship program. But now, you know, the mentor that I had, his programs, you know, five times what it was then. And knowing what I know now, it would have been well worth it even at that level. But, you know, that investment in myself and in our business, you know, I mean, has, I mean, we couldn't have done it without, without that mentorship and just some crucial guidance along the way. There's so many times too, where it's even not like this big or elaborate thing that we're trying to decide, but it's like, you know, that one little tip that he gives you at the right moment, right? You know, telling you, hey, you know, what if you tried this or, or just helping you to get your mindset back in the right place. Those are things that, that were just so crucial at the right time. But yes, definitely had a mentor. And now I've had numerous mentors for different things now and understand just the value of investing in yourself and having, and having mentors, you know, for different aspects of the business. I'm curious, what type of other aspects of the business have you seeked out a mentor for? Yeah, so obviously one was just the syndication business and real estate. Yeah. I've had business coaches that have just helped us within the business, business structure and teams and hiring, things like that. And then I've also had a speaking coach as well. Whitney, I think AJ and I are such huge proponents of having a mentor and just investing in yourself. I've heard, you know, so many great quotes about investing in yourself. I, I can't spit one out right now, but that's something that we do at our company. We promoted our podcast and I think we agree there. My question is, you know, when you started out in 2009, when you bought those triplexes, did you even know that you needed a mentor? It wasn't really in my wheelhouse. I read some books and, you know, did research online or, I mean, I, I think that maybe I had a thought of it, but I didn't have, I just didn't realize the benefit of it like I do now. It wasn't as prominent then, I don't, I don't think, as it is now, but I also was not in this space. And so I think 
it's a different mindset when you're looking for, when I, when I have the mindset of, well, maybe I can find another single family home or maybe I can find a duplex. You know, you just have a few methods of maybe finding finding a deal or whether you're, you know, you're trying to reach out to sellers or direct mail or whatever it may be. And, you know, maybe you have a connection at the bank and, and you make it happen, right? You know, we're buying, you know, a $30 million property. Well, I need a little more guidance, you know, learning that process, <laughs> right? And so I don't even think it was really in my wheelhouse that I really needed to focus on having a great mentor. Yeah. And so, I mean, I feel like it's this, when you're getting started, it's this careful balancing act between making something happen and, and taking a risk and taking action and right. like getting prepared, having a mentor, having a team and knowing, you know, the risks out there and maybe kind of getting into analysis paralysis. So, you know, it's such a tough balancing act. And like our podcast is really about helping real estate professionals who quite, quite haven't taken the jump just yet. So do you have any thoughts or experience shares on kind of that situation when you're just trying to get started? Yes. You know, getting started, I mean, for me now, I always say you need a mentor. You need somebody that's been there and done that. It gives you such a level of confidence that you just can't find in other places. For me too, it was an extreme level of commitment. And so, and let me explain. So I had another business as well. And believe it or not, I was training horses professionally. So I was a federal agent, you know, during the day. And then I actually trained horses professionally in the afternoons. I'd be in the arena till midnight, most nights giving lessons. And I was selling horses for more money than I ever imagined and traveling the country doing clinics and teaching lots of people. And so, I mean, I would be in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, giving clinics and lessons and things. But that was a passion that I had since I was a very little boy you know, was to ride horses. And, and I share that to, so, you know, the listener can think about a passion that may be holding you back right now, that maybe there's a time for that, but maybe it's not this second. And so, you know, I, though, had reached levels in that industry that, that I didn't even think that I could. And I was, I mean, I, I was, I was training horses and selling them for lots of money. And so, but there came a time where at the same time we were entering the syndication business that my wife and I, we went to the beach and we were just walking the beach and praying and thinking about how, you know, the horse training business, I still had some rentals, you know, like the 15 unit or so, but the horse training business, even though it was grown, it was never going to be passive, right? It was never going to be passive. It was always going to require me to be there and to be working as hard as I possibly could. And so, you know, we made a very hard decision, but, you know, we had the farm that we had always dreamed of. I mean, we, we loved this place, but we knew that we had to make some big decisions and we decided to sell that farm and we sold the farm and we sold everything related to that business. Okay. And, and that was so difficult for us. And my wife and I talk about it often, just remembering and reminding ourselves, you know, when we were pulling out of there the last time, it was very difficult to think about selling that place. And so we moved into a small house in town and we're not city folk, but we moved in town and I, in the basement of this little house, I put up two walls in a corner and that was my office for two years. And that's where the podcast, you know, started and all these things. But, you know, having that level of commitment, just burning that bridge of this, of the horse training stuff and just completely focusing on the syndication business, you know, allowed us to get to where we're at now. I have no doubt. I mean, the Lord just gave us a passion for that. gave us just the faith for it. Then the stamina, because it was such a sacrifice to not only, you know, leave all that behind, but also to now 
commit to a daily podcast to start doing deals, working with investors, doing our third adoption process, all those things at the same time. It took just massive levels of commitment. So I would ask that listener, you know, starting like, are you committed to this? You know, are you committed to making it happen? Because it's not going to be easy. You're going to get kicked in the face, right? And are you willing to get back up, you know, and keep going? Because, you know, it was so difficult on my entire family. My entire family, I mean, really sacrificed. You know, my kids, my boys knew that like Sunday was our day together. You know, like the rest of the week, dad is at home, but like he's in the basement until, you know, 10 or midnight most nights. And so, you know, I would watch out the window at them playing in the backyard. And that was like one of the hardest things for me. I wanted to be out there with them, but I had to keep just remembering where we're going and what we're working towards. Wow. That is like just an incredible level of commitment. I love, I mean, literally you guys sold the farm. It's like a metaphor, but it's not a metaphor. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like that is, I want to like steal that and tell our team. I'm like, you guys have to sell the farm. They're like, what does that mean? You've got to commit 100% like Whitney Sewell. (laughs) So, yeah, that is just such a great story. What an incredible experience share. Yeah. All right. So you started diving into syndication, you know, in 2016 with this intense level of commitment. And I mean... At what point, you know, after how long, you know, were you putting out daily podcasts? Do you really feel like you started to like hit momentum and acceleration of just increased viewers and just success? Yeah. So I started learning about the syndication business in 16. I started LifeBridge Capital in 17. It wasn't until the end of 17 when we sold the farm and when we hired a mentor. Actually, that same month, we sold our farm, hired a mentor. And, you know, we moved and it was, I mean, we were like all in, right? And then probably it was like the next August or so when we launched the podcast. And then it's been every day, you know, since then. And so, you know, there were days, I had two days off a month from my federal position and I would record 12 to 15 shows a day. But those days, my team knew that we had to, you know, we, I had to record as many as I possibly could. And I would get in in the afternoons after work and have four or five many days through the week so we could keep up amongst investor calls and me being interviewed on other shows and things like that. But the podcast started, you know, maybe we didn't launch till that October, I think. I think that's right. In, in uh, of eight, let's see, you have 18. But then it's been, you know, every day since then. Wow. 12 to 15 episodes a day. Uh, <laughs> three episodes for us is a big day. How do you schedule that many people in such a short period of time? So that's a great question. And so, I, I mean, I had to build a team from the beginning, right? Everybody say, has it been worth it? You know, has it been worth it to do a daily show? And I say, you know, if you looked at my, at a profit and loss statement, you would say, absolutely not. It's been horrible, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's cost a fortune, no doubt about it. We built a team. And so, you know, I've had somebody on the team that has been in charge of finding guests, right? Finding good guests. And we built processes to find those guests. We built processes to ensure they're going to be a good guest, the best that we can. And so I had four VAs, virtual assistants from all over the world. And then I had another assistant that was local, more local to me in the States anyway, that helped me manage that process. And so I had to build those processes from the beginning because I knew right away doing a daily show that there's no way that I could edit the audio or video and do the show notes myself. That It just would not happen. And I think that it was, in that sense, it was a blessing doing a daily show because if I had done a weekly show, I would have been trying to do all that myself and it would have been much more 
much poorer quality and I probably would have gotten behind and frustrated and maybe quit. But doing it daily, I knew from the beginning that I had to have a team. So now, you know, I have somebody, you know, still now that that's a big part of what they do is find and qualify new guests. And so, but automating that process was key from the beginning. You know, when somebody signs up, the entire process is automated. I do nothing but the interviews. And I mean, that's it, you know, for, I mean, up to that point and and even the post uh, production post interview is all done. You know, we have systems for all of that and have from the beginning. Wow. I love how you're touching on process. AJ and I are are going through a kind of a process upgrade for our property management company right now. And, you know, there, there's just so much to be learned there, but do you have any thoughts for a new real estate investor? Like what, what are some of the, I guess, penny or nickel tasks that they should automate immediately? You know, the first thing that comes to mind, well, I guess maybe this is, I don't know about automating completely, but there's so many things that you can automate that you just, in the beginning, you don't realize is an option, right? You just don't know of all the tools that are available to you. But one is just hiring a virtual assistant, right? Having a virtual assistant and understanding that this person, you can hire them just to get started like two hours a week, you know, or three out five hours a week. You know, you don't have to start out full time, but start, what I tell people is like, think about everything you've done today. Think about it. Even if it took five minutes, write it down, make a list of things and then write, you know, think through that list, circle the top three things. I mean, there should be like, you know, 20, 30, maybe even 50 things on that list. Just so you're really pushing yourself to write down the tasks, the things that you're spending time on, take the top three, maybe five, circle them, the most important tasks, the things that only you can do. And then once you've done that, think about how you can hand off everything else. Build a process for those things and find a virtual assistant that you can start handing those things off. I mean, it's going to be life-changing. People say, oh, well, you know, it, it probably won't work out or, I, you know, they, they, I may have to get rid of them and fire, some, fire them, hire somebody. Yes, you probably will. You may have to go through numerous virtual assistants, but you're going to learn <laughs> so much along the way. And you're eventually going to find one that's really good. And one of the first things that like we just hired another or I just hired another executive assistant and and she's doing an amazing job. We went through top grading and through hiring her. And so it's a big, long, drawn out process. But if you can think of the cost of a mishire, you're much more willing to go through the process of hiring the right person, finding that right person. It's, It's not easy, but it's well worth going through the system. But email alone. Okay, before she get before we hired her, I had 800 un, important and unread emails in my Gmail, not counting like everything else below that, thousands and thousands, 800. And that was stressful to me. Like a lot of investors I want to get back to just immediately, right? I hire her and now, I mean, within a month, that stays to about 15, 10 to 15 a day. And I receive hundreds and hundreds of emails a day, but I only see that 10 or 15 that I need to personally respond to. You know, and so we built systems around that. And that is one thing that just consumed way too much of my time. It was emails. And now, now it's down to a minimum. And now, you know, I'm even able to get back to investors and back to other people that I need to respond to immediately. That's one way we've automated it. I mean, we have other systems now, the podcast alone, and we've automated that entire process. And even how investors come into our system and automating, you know, how we nurture that investor, how they get to know us and ensuring we're educating them and providing value to them over a long period of time. That's great. We employ a a lot of girls from the Philippines as well. We hired our first one about two and a half years ago and we have never looked back. It has been absolutely amazing. We're a huge, huge proponent of it. We actually like bring them into our team and our culture. We call them offsite professionals. And you know, it's just, 
it's pretty great on Wednesdays. We everybody gets on Ring Central is what we use, and we see all their faces all the time. And it's just been a huge, huge blessing, and they get a lot of work done for us. Well, they're cool. a part of our family. Like we just like really love everyone that works for the company, and we actually hit a goal uh, a couple months ago to go visit the Philippines, and wow. we haven't done it quite yet, but is on the list of things to get dialed in, you know, once COVID dies down here a little bit. But yeah, the investment of getting a virtual assistant, it's life-changing. I completely agree. And it's so funny that AJ and I have, well, mostly AJ has started a business called Offsite Professionals, kind of a VA staffing business where we can help place VAs for real estate professionals and kind of hand them off with a few processes that we've built as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's awesome to hear you using VAs. And so can you talk a little bit more about automating podcasts? I think that that is something that I'm just so impressed by. And, you know, just breaking down kind of some of those processes and how you're able to produce such a high quality podcast and, you know, have the team built around that. I think that would be really cool to hear. Yeah. And so we, we even have a button on our podcast page now where you can apply to be a guest, right? We want to make that as easy as possible. It was often people would email me, right? I want to be a guest on the show or they're introducing me to this person or whatever. And we just need a place for them to go. I'm even minimizing those emails again, right? And so giving them a place, but that puts them in a system, right? They fill out, you know, why they would be a good guest, whatever. And then I have a lady in the Philippines that helps manage the entire show now. She's just done amazing. I mean, she's done amazing work. But once she verifies, thinks that they'll be a good guest, and then if she sends them an invitation, well, I mean, obviously we have a, a scripted invitation. Obviously they click a button. It takes them to a page where they can schedule the time for the show. And then it also asks for the things we need, headshot, bio, all those things, three-point bio. You know, I don't want to be, be reading this big, long intro, right, or bio. And so we want to make that pretty <laughs> short. But also, you know, she ensures that my schedule is full. So I, I have a certain days of the week or month that I record lots of shows. And it's her job also to write all those intros. And so I know, you know, we have shared drives, of course, and I pull the intros for that day, or I have one big sheet and now I have every intro on it for that day, you know, and I just go down, go right down through there and I take notes in that same sheet, all those things. But once the, you know, once she's got it scheduled and it's on my calendar, you know, I'm not talking to that guest. I'm not, you know, I know there's people who probably do a lot better at interviewing than me and, and they have like pre-interview calls and things like that. But obviously doing a daily podcast, I just do not have that kind of time. But so I do the interview and all those files are uploaded automatically to our shared drive. And then she takes them. And now we have an audio editor in the Philippines. We have a video editor in the Philippines. We have a copywriter in the Philippines also. And they know what to do. I mean, like those files come in and then we have, we have a system actually in Asana. And so they can check off exactly, you know, when their task is done and then it goes right to the next person. They, t they check off when theirs is done. It goes to the next person, checks off when theirs is done. You know, and then my podcast manager, the first lady, I was telling you about, you know, she hosts, she puts it on the hosting platform and on the website. And so, you know, it's like my own production company there, you know, for podcasts, for our podcast, you know, right there in the Philippines, they do other things for us too, as far as video editing and whatnot and social media. But having the system automated as far as with the guests is crucial. I don't have time to go back and forth with a guest 
you know, three or four times about their bio or three or four times about, you know, questions they want me to ask on the show and, and things like that. And so it has to be very automated, obviously doing that many per month. That system, it sounds like it has been, you know, built out and tested and broken and revised and broken and tested and revised. And it's like the system has been built on years of revisions. Can you, I feel like most newer real estate investors maybe don't have a ton of experience building out a system like that and and sticking with it and having that commitment to continually making it better. Can you kind of share what that is like? I would say the biggest thing, you have to have systems, right? It doesn't matter what part of the business we're talking about. You know, one big thing that we've worked on and we're always working on is like our, I call it our investor life cycle. Like what happens to that investor when, you know, no matter where they're at in our process, how did they find us? And then why did they sign up as an investor? Do we know? Did they schedule a call with me? Did, you know, what, what happens, you know, through that journey? And we document those things. And that's what I would say. Like, if you're a process type person, even if you're not, you need to be documenting the process, right? You need to be documenting so you can improve it. And that's us. And I tell our team this all the time. I'm sure you do this, this as well. But it's like, anytime we think of something, anytime we have ideas to improve these systems or processes or something fails, right? Then we're going to write it down. We're going to go to that, that process and change it. And so that's why it just continues to get better. It doesn't matter if it's a podcast team or if it's our investor relations team or if it's my assistant, my executive assistant. We have systems and we use Asana a lot or I would say she uses Asana a lot. I usually Voxer her different things that I need her to take care of. You know, she puts it in Asana. But either way, see, that's a process, right? You know, I don't want to have to take the time to do that, but I have somebody <laughs> that's really good at that that can do it for me. And so, but documenting, documenting the process is having a place where that lives, where those people on the team can access those things and understanding that, hey, when, when you have an idea, I want to hear about it. Just like you all, I love how you talked about like you love your employees, doesn't matter. And you call them offsite professionals. I love that too. It's not just a virtual assistant. Like it's, you know, they're professionals and they're working hard for you. And I feel the same way. We care about them a lot. And so we, we care about their opinion. You know, I actually hired a, another copywriter, a new copywriter just this past week. And she messaged me something about one of the show titles and ask if she could change it. And I said, of course you can. You're the expert. That's why I hired you, you know? So, you know, so I want to give them that freedom, right? I want to give it, let them know that I trust them and that I want them to be a part of the team, you know, in every way. That is so cool. AJ and I just interviewed a great guest, Joey Coleman, who wrote Never Lose a Customer Again. And he is the guru of the customer lifecycle. If you haven't read that book, I... Highly, highly recommend it. Joey is also amazing. I'm sure he'd love to be on the podcast. And it just documents that first hundred days. Well, and it gives you it gives you diction on like what the life cycle is, and then how to make sure that that experience is the best that it possibly can be. And it goes in into absolute detail on like the first hundred days of like taking a customer and making sure that they become a raving fan. We made a ton of implementation into like our onboarding of our property management clients and it's been super helpful. That's awesome. I've not heard of that book before. I wrote it down though because I want to look at that. Very cool. Well, well, I think we're, we're getting towards the end here. We should probably get on these last four questions because I, I think Whitney's going to have some good answers for us and I don't want to have to cut us short. So Whitney, you ready for our last four questions? Let's do it. All right. 
First question, what's one piece of advice you would give your 25-year-old self? Don't blow your money. (laughs) (laughs) Invest in yourself and think, think bigger, I guess would be some real advice there. You know, like thinking about where you're going. I didn't have much focus or guidance in on five years from then, you know, or 10 years from then, you know, and and what's happening to get me where I want to go. I didn't have much vision for in just building business or, you know, really believing that I could accomplish bigger things. You know, I really had that mindset of working that W2 and having that, that stable, right, quote, stable, you know, career and benefits and all those things that, you know, I was really raised to believe was, was a really great thing. And so that was hard to break free of that, especially around that age. I love that. All right. And our second question is, what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? First entrepreneurial endeavor, I was, that's funny. That's a good question. Believe it or not, I was a farrier. And I wonder how many people even know what that is. Do you know what a farrier does? I, I mean, is this someone that drives the ferry <laughs> boat across a river? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that is not. <laughs> so most That's people have no idea, unless you're, unless you're into horses. And so a, a farrier is someone who shoes horses for a living. And so at 17, I went to a school to become a farrier, a blacksmith, really. So I could build... I could build handmade shoes out of the bed of my truck, believe it or not. So I would go to very expensive farms and I would, I would shoe horses, but I could build therapeutic shoes. I could pull steel out and heat a forge up and I could, you know, had an anvil and I could, I could build therapeutic shoes. So horses that had feet problems or leg problems, I could help them and charge a lot of money for it. But that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. Whitney, I've heard of people doing a lot of things out of the back of their truck, but Shoeing horses, that's a first. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> unique. That. Probably the first time that has ever come up that, are, that I've ever been asked. <laughs> Fun. All right, our next question is, how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? In a big way. I mean, military, law enforcement, I mean, it is, you know, that training, whether it's boot camp, whether it's police academy, experience overseas, experience working as an officer, the, just the structure, the mindset, all that has helped shape, you know, our, our my business ventures and, and just pushing, you know, and not being willing to give up. No doubt about it. It has, it has pushed me in many ways. Whitney, I just want to thank you for your service. You know, we owe so much to our servicemen and women, and I think that is just absolutely incredible. Okay. And our final question. Yes. Our final question. So I'll kind of broaden this out, but what was your Moby Dick of business or life or real estate? The one opportunity that got away. Wow. The one that got away. I can think of one project. Before I got into the syndication business, there was a 34 unit deal in in the city I live in. And I was, I can't even remember now what I was trying to pay for that project. I think it was around 300000 I can't remember now exactly. It's been a few years ago now. But I tried to find a partner. I tried to find somebody to help me with that project. Again, this is before commercial real estate. This is before you know, I was really thinking that big and, and knew what we know now or have the reach that we do. You know, I didn't have a list of investors. I didn't have people like that. But man, I thought this could be such a good deal. And I found a guy that I thought was going to partner. And 
and he just didn't think it was a good deal. He didn't think it was, you know, what I thought it was. And so I, didn't, I thought, okay, you know, I should trust him. He had been in business a very long time. Well, that project was wholesaled by a local wholesaling business. They cleared for 3000 They ended up selling it for almost 700 like a year later. And so, I mean, I just couldn't believe I, that was, I mean, that was one that got away early on, you know, and it's, again, learned a lot from that, right? That, that I'm sure has, has helped me in many ways, but that would have been a life changing, right? You know, to have capitalized on that deal if I could have closed it or could have gotten it closed. But anyway, that's one early on that got away. So one follow-up question, what do you think, how would your life been different if you did close that deal? Well, I could have left my day job a lot, a lot faster. That's for sure. However, I may not have pursued the syndication business like I did. I may not have pursued that mentor like I did, you know, because it, it was before that. And so there's, there's many things there that, I mean, it could have changed everything, right? And, and maybe for the worse. Now, you know, knowing what we know now, you know, probably would not have closed on $100 million last year, you know, in commercial real estate. You know, maybe I would have. I don't. Who knows? But that would have definitely changed the trajectory of, of potentially of our in our business. Yeah, that's so interesting. The the butterfly effect. It's pretty pretty incredible. Like a lot of guests we get on, just mention that you know, hey, I have I have no regrets. I've I'm just so happy that I'm here now and all the decisions that I made. Yay! Yeah, I may have missed out on some opportunities, but there were always new ones and it's so interesting to look back and look at like what you thought would, would have been that amazing opportunity and then kind of, you know, guess or wonder, you know, would I be here right now having this conversation if that happened? Who knows? For sure. Interesting question. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, everyone's got to go through something in order to learn more and like, you know, going through that situation, I'm sure you learned a ton through it. You said you said you did and, like, I'm sure you learned that, like, you know, when your gut says, like, it's going to be a good deal, you got to find a way to keep going. And, you know, there's some naysayers out there. Not everyone's opinion is correct. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you can take away from that situation where you can really take some good lessons and apply them to the future. Well, Whitney, it's been a absolute pleasure having you. We really want to thank you for coming on our podcast. If there's any ways that our listeners want to like get a hold of you or maybe research more about you, do you want to let them know what's the best way to get a hold of you? Of course. You can email me, Whitney at lifebridgecapital.com. You can call or text me at 540-585-4338. Look forward to speaking with you. Thank you so much, Whitney. It was just awesome wealth of knowledge and just so impressed with your why and your commitment you sold the farm you know just pretty amazing thank you you're very welcome thank you guys all right thanks whitney thank you for listening to this episode of the real estate professionals investing podcast on win your community for investing knowledge for growth please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview if you or someone you know wants to be on please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form